0: In this video, we want to continue with our study in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be studying from Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and our New Testament. Remember, these Bible class videos are made available fresh every Sunday morning during our normal Bible class hours and on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We're trying to keep in schedule with our current Bible classes because unfortunately at this time we were unable to assemble for Bible classes due to the coronavirus pandemic. And so we're still trying uh, to make our classes available to our congregation and to those of you who may be watching from around the country and even around the globe. We thank you for studying with us and we hope that you are encouraged by these studies from the word of God. I want to remind everyone that I have made available outlines for every class uh, that I teach from Hebrews. You can get those outlines through our through our website. Those are made available. And I just want to again thank everyone who's tuning in and watching and studying along in the Bible. I believe the best thing we can do during this time of pandemic around the globe, the best thing we can do is study our Bibles and get encouragement in the scriptures and continue to, to grow, even though we are unable to assemble with our local churches as we li- would like to. So we're going to be in Hebrews 3 uh, this, in, this, in this study. Before we dive into the study, let's just have a brief prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for blessing us with another day of life and health and strength. We continue to pray for our country, for those who are sick, who are suffering with this terrible disease right now. We pray for doctors and nurses. We pray for government officials, all of those, Father, who are making very tough decisions at this time. We pray for your people, Christians across the globe, that we all continue to grow in our faith and continue to draw closer to you during this very difficult time. Bless us, Father and see us through these, these very difficult times. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we dive into Hebrews 3, uh, I would just like to say a few things as far as review goes for Hebrews chapter 2. Remember the theme of this book, the theme of, of the book of Hebrews, is the superiority of Jesus Christ. The superiority of Jesus Christ. Throughout this entire book, the Hebrew writer is making the point that Jesus is superior to everything that is found under the Old Testament system. In the first chapter, he made the point that Jesus is a superior spokesman when compared to the Old Testament prophets. Unlike men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the rest of the Old Testament prophets, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. The revelation that Jesus has given is complete, it is full, and it has come directly from the very mouth of God. And so Jesus is a superior spokesman. And another point the Hebrew writer makes is Jesus is superior to angels. Uh, Unlike angels whom the Jewish people held in high esteem, Jesus is to be worshiped. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus is superior to angels, but even though he is superior to angels, if you remember in chapter 2, the Hebrew writer makes the point that when Jesus came into this world, he was actually made a little lower than angels. He was made a little lower than angels because he put on flesh. He came as a man. He came as one of us. He was God. Yes, he was deity, but he also was fully man at the same time. And so in that sense, he was made a little lower than angels. And why was he made a little lower than angels? Why did he have to put on flesh when coming into our time and space? Well, the Hebrew writer makes the point that the reason why Jesus was made a little lower than angels, the reason why he put on flesh Was so he could die, so that he could die on a cross for our sins, so that he could taste death for every person, and so that he could be perfectly qualified to be our high priest, someone who could truly sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way, and yet he did not sin. He knows exactly what it is like to be one of us because he lived as one of us. And so, even though Jesus is more superior to angels, he was made a little lower than angels so that he could die and become our high priest. Now, the Hebrew writer does say a whole lot more about that, and if you want to study that in some detail, check out our previous video on Hebrews chapter 2. Now, I want to just continue the study in this video with Hebrews 3, and I'm going to break up Hebrews 3 into two... Units and the first unit is going to be found in the first six verses Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 i'm reading from the new american standard translation after telling us about how jesus Was tempted in every way and yet he did not sin and he is a perfect and merciful high priest in chapter 3 verse 1 the bible says this therefore therefore Holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has much, much more honor than the house." For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Now we're going to break down these first Six verses of this chapter, and as we do that, I think it is important that we consider the overall context of what is being said here. Do you you see the main point that the Hebrew writer is making in those verses? The main point the Hebrew writer is making, the theme of this particular chapter, is not only is Jesus better than the Old Testament prophets, and not only is he better than angels, But believe it or not, he's even better than Moses. He's even better than this man whom God used to free the Israelites from hundreds of years of Egyptian bondage. He's even better than the man that the Bible specifically says was a friend of God. The man whom went on the mountain for 40 days and came back with the law of God. Moses was the great lawgiver of the Old Testament. He he was the person that the Jewish people held in high esteem. They revered Moses. But Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is more superior to Moses. This is a big statement that that the Hebrew writer is making. The, The Jewish people would have viewed this as an enormous statement. And so, and so why is the Hebrew writer even saying this? Why is he making this point? Well, remember again what these Hebrew Christians, these Christians who were Hebrews by ethnicity, remember what they were tempted to do. R- remember during this time, these Christians that the writer is addressing, they were tempted to leave Jesus. They were tempted to turn back on Jesus and his covenant and go back to living under the Old Testament law of Moses. They were actually thinking about abandoning Jesus and their faith in Jesus to go back and live under that law which God gave through Moses. That's what they're attempting to do. That's the main context to really understand to, to appreciate this book. These Christians were actually thinking about leaving their faith in Jesus to go back and live under the old law. And why were they tempted to do that? Well, the main reason why they were tempted to to leave Jesus to go back to live under the old law was because of persecution. They were being persecuted for for their new faith in Christ, and the Hebrew writer will give us a lot of hints of that as we continue studying this book. But as early as what we find in the book of Acts, we read about various times when Hebrews, Jewish people who became Christians, when they started getting persecuted for for their faith. We, We read about it with the persecution led by Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul, believe it or not, he started a very ferocious and vigorous persecution against the church in Acts chapter 8. After the death of Stephen by the Sanhedrin council, after Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the truth of the gospel, Saul of Tarsus started going into the homes of of Jewish people who were Christians, and and he drugged them out of their homes and he threw them in jail. He, He led a vigorous assault against the Lord's church. That's Acts chapter 8. In fact, this assault was so bad that in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, it says that the church of Jerusalem was forced to scatter and leave the, the city of Jerusalem. They were forced from their homes because of this persecution. And so the persecution against the church in the first century, it did not begin with the Roman Empire. Instead, it began with the Jewish people, those who promoted Judaism, those who rejected jesus as the messiah and they were jews they were the ones who began the persecution against the church and and during this time there is a lot of evidence we have that these christians that the writer is addressing they were being pressured and persecuted for their faith in christ so much so that they were thinking about abandoning their faith in christ so that they could go back to living a life that was much easier, a life when they were accepted more because they followed the Old Testament law of Moses. And so that's what's going on here. That is why the Hebrew writer has to bring up Moses. He has to help these these people understand that who you're following now, what you have now is so much more superior what you had when you lived under the old law yes you respect moses yes you have been trying to keep the law that god gave through moses but jesus is better than moses jesus law is more superior to that of moses jesus is superior to moses in every way that's what the hebrew writer says and he wants them to really understand that if they abandon jesus and go back to living under the old law. They're going to leave the superior for the inferior. That's the point. And so let's look at some of the things that are are said here. Go back to verse 1. In verse number 1, when making this case that Jesus is better than Moses, he starts by calling them holy brethren, holy brethren, and, and he says they are partakers of a heavenly calling. See, as Christians, we have received a heavenly calling. We have been called by the gospel that has been revealed by the Holy Spirit, and that means it comes directly from heaven. We have a heavenly calling. And if we're Christians, that means we've answered that calling. We've answered the call of the gospel. He says, holy brethren, partakers. We're partaking of a heavenly calling. And notice how he uses some interesting terms to describe Jesus. Do you see the interesting terms that he used to describe Jesus? First, he calls Jesus an apostle. He calls Jesus the apostle. The apostle. How often when you think about Jesus, do you think of him as an apostle? Apostle. You know, so often when we, when we think of apostles, we think about the 12 apostles. We think about Peter and James and John. We think about Matthias. We think about Thomas. We think about Philip. We even think about Paul, who was called to be an apostle later on, after Jesus had ascended to heaven. When we think about apostles, we think about those men that Jesus handpicked to be his special ambassadors and representatives after he left the earth and went to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. That's who we think of. We don't think of Jesus as an apostle, and yet the Bible says Jesus is an apostle. And so how is Jesus an apostle? Well, to understand this, it's really important to to really comprehend the meaning of the word apostle. See, so often we limit the meaning or the definition of the word apostle. When you look up the word apostle, the word apostle just simply means one who is sent out. One who is sent out. Now, in the Bible is used in a couple of different ways. It's used to refer to men who held the office of an apostle, men who were handpicked by God to be an apostle, And it's also used just to talk about somebody who is sent out to do a work of God. The word apostle is used in two different ways in the New Testament. And to figure out which way is being used, you got to study the context. You got to study the context in which the word is used. Now, it is true that Jesus did pick some specific men to hold the office of an apostle. He picked Peter. He picked James and John. He picked Matthias in Acts chapter 1. He picked Thomas and Philip and Matthew. Jesus picked these men to be his special ambassadors and representatives when he went to heaven while he was in heaven sitting at the right hand of God. In fact, to be an apostle in the sense of holding the office of an apostle, there were certain qualifications you had to meet. Those qualifications are actually laid out for us In Acts chapter 1, when you study how the apostles were able to find a replacement for Judas, remember Judas, he betrayed Jesus and he killed himself. He killed himself because he felt so guilty for what he had done to Jesus. He took his own life. Well, after his suicide, the apostles needed to find someone to take his place, to also hold the office of an apostle. And in Acts chapter 1, we see that they did not make the choice, but they let God make the choice. God in Acts chapter 1 chose Matthias to be Judas' replacement. And so what qualified Matthias, or what qualified somebody like Paul, to be an apostle? Well, two qualifications that needed to be met for one to be an apostle is first, you had to have personally seen personally seen the risen savior. You had to have personally seen a resurrected Jesus. You had to have seen a resurrected Jesus because you were going to go and testify of his resurrection to the world. All of the apostles said they personally saw a risen savior. Even Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 15. He he saw the risen savior. And so you had to have seen the risen Savior to be an apostle. But not only must you have seen the risen Savior, a second qualification you had to meet is you had to have been picked by God himself. God picked the apostles. That's very different than how elders are appointed or even deacons are appointed in a church. You see, when it comes to elders and deacons, while God gives us qualifications that these men must meet in 1 Timothy 3 to, to hold that position or that office, the church is the one who appoints them. The church is the one who looks out from among them, and they pick these men to be elders or pastors and deacons. God gives the qualifications, but the church picks them. The church appoints them. That's not how it worked with apostles. With apostles, God didn't just give a qualification, but God handpicked these men to be apostles. He handpicked Paul, he handpicked Matthias, he handpicked them all. And so what does that mean, practically speaking? Well, practically speaking, that means that no person holds the office of apostle today. I mean, there are a bunch of people running around in our society claiming to be apostles or to hold the office of an apostle, and yet they've never seen the risen saviour. They never saw Jesus raised from the dead, and they certainly were not handpicked by God to be an apostle. There were the only apostles, as far as the office goes, that we know of are those that we read about in the sacred text, those who could testify personally that I saw Jesus raised from the dead, and we know for a fact, because the scripture says so, that God picked them to be apostles. And so most of the time, when the Bible used the word apostle, it's talking about those men, those 14 men that we can read about in the Bible who were specifically handpicked by God to hold that office. But remember, there is another way in which the Bible used the word apostle, and that is to talk about somebody who's just sent out. Someone who was sent out on a mission. And that's how it's being used to talk about Jesus here. When the scripture says that Jesus was the apostle, it's not talking about he was like an apostle like the 12. It just means he was sent out. He was sent from heaven to do God's work. He was sent from heaven on a mission to redeem us and to save us from our sins. In that sense, Jesus was the apostle. This word is used in the very same way to describe the work of Barnabas. When you read the book of Acts, you see that Barnabas was also sent out as an apostle, not that he held the office of an apostle, but he was an apostle in the sense that he was sent out by the church to do God's work. This word apostle is used to talk about men who held the office and is also used to talk about someone who was sent out on a mission from God. Jesus was sent out to do the work of heaven, to die on the cross for our sins. Barnabas was sent out, and several others in the Bible were sent out as apostles to do God's work. And so Jesus is the apostle. The Hebrew writer also says he's the high priest. We'll say a lot more about that as we continue with the book of Hebrews, because the book of Hebrews really makes a big point of Jesus being the high priest. We'll say more about that in the next few videos. And then after recalling Jesus, the apostle and the high priest, he makes this contrast. He makes this contrast, if you notice, between Moses and Jesus. So look at that carefully. Verses three through six. When contrasting Moses and Jesus, the Hebrew writer says that Moses was a faithful servant in the house of God. The house of God there represents God's family. God's family. God had a family under the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the Israelites. God has a family in the New Testament, Christians, disciples, saints. And so under the Old Covenant, Moses was a faithful servant in the house of God. He was a faithful steward over God's family, but Jesus is more superior to Moses. Why is he more superior to Moses? Well, in verse number three, the Hebrew writer says that Moses had glory. But Jesus even had more glory. One had glory. One had even more glory. He also says one was a servant in the house and the other is the servant over the house. Moses was the servant in the house of God, a faithful servant in the house of God. But Jesus is over the house. (laughs) Jesus is the owner of the house. Jesus is the son over the house. The son is greater than the servant in the house. The point that the Hebrew writer is making is Moses was great. Moses was faithful. Moses had glory, but Jesus had even more glory. Jesus was even more faithful Jesus wasn't just a servant in the house of God. Jesus is over the house of God. He's the owner of the house. You and I both know that the owner of a property is greater than the servants in the property. And So that's the point that he's making. Jesus is more superior than Moses. His law is more superior. His covenant is more superior. His house is more superior. Jesus is better. And so don't leave Jesus. That's the point. Don't leave the superior for the inferior. Notice again verse number six. Instead of leaving the house of God's Son, he says that the in the second part of verse number six, we are to hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end don't leave jesus hold fast to him hold firm to jesus that's the point that he's making don't leave the superior for the inferior don't leave someone who's superior to moses that's foolish that's the point that he's making and so to emphasize this point let's read verses 7 through 19 say a few comments and then that's going to be our study okay Verse 7, after contrasting Moses and Jesus and making the point that Jesus is superior, he says this in verse 7, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, take care, brethren, that there not being any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, while it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For he who provoked him when they for who I'm sorry, provoked him when they had heard, indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry? 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they, they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Okay, that's a lot of good stuff there. But remember the point of these videos, just to give you a brief summary of what's being said, to kind of give you some guidance as you study this at home. And so let me just give you the big point of what's being said here in these verses. First, in verses 7 through 11, verses 7 through 11, notice how there in those verses, as the Hebrew writer continues trying to emphasize this point, that Jesus is better than Moses, his house is better than the house that Moses was a servant over, he he takes them back to the Old Testament. He quotes here from the 95th Psalm, Psalm 95. If you remember, Psalm 95 is a psalm about Israel's, the Old Testament Israel, that generation of Israelites that Moses led out of Egyptian bondage. That psalm is about Israel's unfaithfulness to God. That psalm is about Israel's rebellion Against God, even though God delivered these people from Egyptian bondage. Even though God miraculously brought them across the Red Sea. Even though God gave them their own law at Mount Sinai. And even though God fed them with bread from heaven for 40 years in the wilderness. Even though God was so good to these people. The psalmist in Psalm 95 makes the point that these people They were rebellious people. They were unfaithful to God. They were not grateful for their blessings. In verse number 8 of this chapter of Hebrews 3, he says these people hardened their hearts. Verse number 9, he says they tested God. Verse 10, it says God was angry with these people. You don't want God angry with you, my friends. God was angry with these people, verse 10. Verse 11, because God was angry with them, because God did not like the fact that they were rebellious people, he did not allow them to enter his rest. That means that that generation was not allowed to enter into the land of Canaan. They were not allowed to inherit that land that flowed with milk and honey. Remember, from that particular generation, that generation of Moses' day, only two of those people were able to enter into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, they were able to enter in because they had faith in God, but the rest of that generation, they were disobedient, rebellious, they didn't have faith, and not even Moses was able to enter because there was a time when he disobeyed God and didn't give God the glory that he was due. So an entire generation died in the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. They all died in the wilderness, and then the next generation was led by Joshua into finally conquering the land that flowed with milk and honey. Because of heartening of their hearts, because they tested God, because they didn't have faith, God did not let them enter his rest. God did not let them enter into the land of Canaan, and the point the Hebrew writer is making is we don't need to be like them. We need to learn from their mistake. We need to make sure that we don't harden our hearts, that we don't test God, that we don't lack in faith, that we don't leave God's law because if we do, we also won't enter our rest, which is in heaven. That's the point the Hebrew writer is making. Learn from Israel. And so in verses 12 through 19, he continues with his admonition. In case people fail to understand Psalm 95, which the majority of Jewish people would have. But he goes on to explain himself further. In verse 12, he says, don't develop an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Notice how in that verse, we see that our hearts, my heart, your heart can fall away from the living God. Our hearts can change. Our hearts can go from belief to unbelief. We can make that choice, and that's an important point to emphasize because we live in a a religious world where for so many people, they say you can't fall away from God. They say that you can't change your heart once you're converted to the Lord. That's not what the Hebrew writer says. The Hebrew writer says that our hearts can fall away from God. We can go from being in a saved condition to being in a lost condition. We can go from having hearts that are humble towards God and receptive towards God to having hearts that have hardened against God and no longer want to follow the gospel. Our hearts can change. Our hearts can change if we allow them to. He says, don't develop a heart that falls away from God. Keep in mind, he's speaking to Christians. So how do we avoid that? Well, in verse 13, he says, we need to encourage one another each day. We need to encourage each other as Christians each day, not just on Sunday. Not just when we are able to come back and start assembling together regularly again. The Bible says that if we're going to avoid having hearts that fall away from God, we got to help each other avoid that. We got to encourage each other every single day. We got to be texting each other. We got to be calling each other, sending emails to each other, encouraging each other in the faith. It's a, it, we got to be a family. We got to help each other as we try to make this journey to heaven. And the reason we got to do that is because in verse 13, he says, sin is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. Sin is something that it looks pleasurable. It looks like it brings some satisfaction, but it's it's nothing good that comes from it. It's nothing but evil and unholiness. You remember Eve and Adam, they were deceived by sin. They thought good was going to come to them. Because they sinned against God and had to learn the hard way that sin is a destroyer. It destroys lives physically and spiritually. More importantly, spiritually. Sin is deceitful. It looks enticing. It looks satisfying. It looks like it's something we can do, maybe get away with it. But once we engage in it, we hurt God, we hurt others. We, we, We destroy our lives in many instances. So we got to encourage each other because sin is deceitful. And then in verse 14, he says, we got to hold fast. He says, we got to hold fast. The beginning of our assurance firm to the end, this, this salvation we received, we got to hold fast to it. And then in verses 15 through 19, he says, don't harden your hearts like Israel did. Israel hardened their heart against God. How did they harden their hearts against God? Well, they hardened their hearts mainly because they lacked in their faith. I'm reminded of the time when God told them. He says, go take the promised land. Go take that land that flowed with milk and honey. I have promised you this land. I'm going to give you this land. But if you remember the story, they wouldn't go take it when God told them to. When the 12 spies came back, two of them said, we can do it. The other 10 said we can't do it. We look like grasshoppers compared to to the Canaanites. There's no way we can do this. And, And the majority of Israel, in fact, all of Israel, listened to them. They didn't have faith in God. They hardened their hearts against God. And because of that, because of their disbelief and their lack of faith, they provoked God. They angered God. They demonstrated disobedience to God, and God punished them. God said, you will not enter into Canaan. The next generation will enter. This generation will not. You will not, God said, because you did not have faith in me. That's why they missed the rest, because they didn't trust God. They didn't obey God. They didn't have faith in God. And the point the Hebrew writer is making is we need to learn from them. You know, any Christian who leaves Jesus is no different than the Israelites under the Old Testament who wouldn't believe in God and trust God and do what God says and provoke God to anger and did not enter their rest. When we don't trust Jesus and do what he says and hang with him, we're no different than the Israelites in the days of Moses. We're no different than those people. The Hebrew writer is making the point here is learn from Israel's mistake. If you leave Jesus, you're being just like those people in Moses' day. You're leaving God. You're leaving Jesus. You're lacking in your faith, and you won't enter the rest, the spiritual rest that God has waiting for you. In fact, this issue of rest is going to be spoken of in more detail in the next chapter. The Hebrews got more to say about this rest and how we need to be diligent to enter this rest as Christians. We'll talk about it in the next video. In the next video, but for now, just take to heart the message of chapter 2. Or chapter 3, I'm sorry. The message is Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus' law is more superior to that of Moses. Don't try to live by that law which Moses gave. Now, you can learn from it. You can study it. There, there's a lot of value to studying the Old Testament law, but we are not to live on, uh, or be bided by that law as Christians, live by that law, because what we have in Jesus is far more superior. We have something far more superior, and when we leave Jesus to go and, and be part of something or live by something that is not enforced by heaven, we're no different than Israel and the Old Testament. So thank you for watching this video. I hope it will encourage you. I hope we will learn the lessons the Hebrew writer is trying to make here. God bless you. I look forward to our next study of Hebrews 4 that we will have put out in just a few days. Thank you.